the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, the name at which uh, Napoleon's going to bow, Hitler's going to bow, Julius Caesar's going to bow, Nimrod's going to bow, Satan himself is going to bow and have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If that's the name you love, if that's the name you love to hear and love to tell its worth, if that's your Savior, I want you to stand and give him the biggest hand clap of praise that you can today and worship the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. Hallelujah. He has no rival, no equal. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated today. It's a pleasure to serve the Lord. It's a pleasure to preach His Word. And I hope that you feel that it is a pleasure to be in His house today. Amen. Amen. It's a big, it's a big thing with me. It's a big deal to me to talk about the fact that there's a big difference between opportunities and obligations. And if you can't go to church for any other reason, obligation's better than no reason at all. But I'm gonna tell you, when you go out of obligation, you can't wait till it's over. When you're here out of obligation, you're mad when you came and you're mad when you leave. If you're here out of obligation, we can't get the temperature right, we can't get the volume right, we can't get the songs right, can't get the preaching right. In fact, if you're in obligation, as good looking as I am, you don't even want to look at it. I know there's something wrong with you then. Amen. But when you hear out an opportunity, you hang on every word. You look for every song, an opportunity to magnify the Lord. Amen. You look around you and you see people that you love and you see people that you want to minister to and you want to worship the Lord. How many is glad we've got the opportunity today to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? Amen. 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 Turn in your Bibles, John chapter 4. You're going to start in verse 28. In fact, we're going to read verse 28 and 29, then skip down to verse 39 through 42. I'll be reading to you at the new, through the New King James Version of the Scripture. That's the version that's on the back of your pew. Please feel free to use your, your cell phones uh, to uh, uh, get whatever Scripture you might have on your cell phone. And it's all right if you are into social media, if you tweet, and or if you uh, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, shoot, if you still put a stamp on an envelope and mail it, you hear something that blesses you, feel free to share that with somebody else that might bless them as well. John chapter 4, verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the story is the thing. 
The story is the thing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We are thankful, Lord, that there is a promise attached to your word, that it would not return unto you empty-handed, void. It will go forth and do the work that it was intended to do. We're praying that the same Holy Spirit that moved upon men of old to write your word will move upon us today as we speak it and hear it and receive it in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and ask him, what's your story? I had not been here all that long whenever I, um, it got back to me. I think Jan might have told me that uh, our beloved Mary Helen Baker had said, you know we love our new little preacher, but he tells stories right there in the pulpit. <laughs> By stories, I don't know if she meant humorous anecdote or if she meant that I was lying. I don't know what she meant by that. But she had her own unique way of doing that. My brother Travis, we were talking the other day about different uh, types of preachers. As you know, we got a lot of preachers in our family. And, and uh, Travis preaches different than Barry. Barry preaches different than me or Travis. I preach different than them. And uh, Josh, whose mom's here today, and Thad, and then my nephew Matt. I mean, we, we've, got, uh, we've got more uh, peavies in the ministry in South Georgia uh, than they have uh, nut grass in North Georgia. I mean, we just got a lot of preachers in there. We all preach different. Travis, we're talking one day, and I asked him, I said, well, uh, he asked me, he said, what kind of preacher do you think I am? And I said, well, I think that you're a good storyteller. And he kind of laughed and, and uh, was almost a little bit insulted. I said, no, you're taking me wrong. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a good thing. Jesus was a good storyteller. That's how Jesus preached the gospel. He told stories. Parables, he called them. Maybe, maybe that would help our feelings if we use the word parable instead of story, but whatever you want to call it, it is what it is. Jesus told stories. And in those stories were contained eternal principles. Jesus was a great storyteller. The famous magazine publisher, S.S. McClure, who had McClure's Magazine years ago, he said this about his reporters. He said, the story is the thing. He said, the first thing that I want my reporters to do and those that write my magazine, I don't want them to worry about anything else other than telling an absorbing story. Now, that doesn't mean that when we talk about the gospel that we don't need to be accurate. What we say about the gospel should be accurate. It should be reliable. It should be true. It doesn't mean just because it's a good story that it's true. It needs to be true. And when we talk about the gospel, it not only needs to be true in a historical sense, but it needs to be biblical. We don't need to talk about things and, and uh, kind of put doctrines out there that are not biblical doctrines. So they need to be accurate and they need to be biblical. But I want you to understand what God has called us collectively and individually to be. He has called us to be witnesses. In fact, that's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What God has called us to be is witnesses. He has not called us to be prosecuting attorneys. 
It's not what he's called us to be. I know we live in a world where in our culture, culture has not shifted. Culture has went down the tubes. We're not experiencing just a cultural shift in America. We are witnessing the demise of Western civilization. We are witnessing the demise of the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I know it is easy to speak, especially when you have a pulpit to do it from three times a week. It is real easy to just get up and rail about everything that's wrong in the world and present a case like you're the prosecuting attorney. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to be the judge. That doesn't mean that we don't judge actions. It doesn't mean that we don't judge messages. It does mean that we're not the judge of individuals. There are things that are between them and God. And as much as we might want to, we're not the ultimate determiner about what's going on in somebody's heart. Now that doesn't mean that we don't preach against sin. It does mean that we don't condemn sinners. We just go what what the Bible says. And here's what the Bible says. That if a person accepts and believes, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have ever, uh, uh, everlasting life. But then the Bible says those, but those that do believe not are condemned already because they've not accepted the son of God. I'm not judging an individual by saying you have to accept Jesus to go to heaven. I'm just telling what the word of God says. So God's not called us to be the judge. He's not called us in one sense even to be a defense attorney for him. Don't get caught in the trap of trying to explain everything that happens in life like you're God's defense attorney. God's not Trump and you're not Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) You don't have to explain everything because guess what? You don't know what you're talking about. And I don't either. There are things that happen in the world, things that happen in the life. I don't even understand everything in the Bible. And I am very leery of those that understand everything. If you find into somebody, run into somebody that has all the answers, let me tell you, they don't even know the right questions. God's not called us to be his defense attorney. He has called us to be a witness. Now, it is true that, that Peter said to us, 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God's in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you in meekness and fear. It's true that Apostle Paul had to give a defense of himself before Agrippa and before Caesar. That's true. But what they were defending was not everything that God does, what they were defending, what God's done in me. They were defending what God's done with me, to me, and in me, and through me. So I can't speak educationally, I can't speak intellectually, I can't speak intelligently of everything that goes on in the world, but I can tell you what God's done for me. I can tell you what he's been to me and what he's been to me. So we are witnesses, and we're not to be a hostile witness. You ever watched a... a um, you know, one of these uh, courtroom dramas on TV, and sometimes uh, they'll say, I, I want permission to treat this, uh, this witness as a hostile witness. Did you know sometimes you have Christians that are hostile witnesses? Some people witness and they're absolutely ticked off that they have to do it. They're kind of like the vacuum cleaner salesman that used to go door to door, and when he'd knock on the door, he'd say, you don't want to buy a vacuum cleaner, do you? 
There's some people that are that way as Christians. They share the gospel, but they do it so they can check that tick mark off because they think it's their obligation to share the gospel. And it is our obligation, but it's also an opportunity. And you can share the gospel with people that you really don't care if they accept it or not. In fact, I've heard people say, if I present the gospel to them and they don't accept them, that's between them and God, their blood's off my hands. What you're telling me is you really don't care whether they go to hell or not. You just want to make sure you're not in trouble for not telling them. Right? We witness to people because we want to see people saved. Because we're concerned about their eternity. So we're not a hostile witness and we're not a silent witness. There was a documentary that came out about 20 years ago about country music uh, singers that were Christians. And that's a wonderful thing. But they entitled the documentary Silent Witnesses. And I thought that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. How in the world can you be a silent witness? Can I tell you that if you are a Christian and nobody knows about it, <laughs> something's wrong somewhere. First of all, they ought to be able to see it in your life, but they ought to also hear it from your lips. I'm not ashamed of Jesus, are you? I want people to know that he is my Savior and my Lord. So the Bible tells us that we are called to be witnesses, which means we are called to tell the story. And the first thing that we're called to tell is we're called to tell his story. Now that's a little bit difficult sometimes because all of history is his story. Right? So where are you going to start? Well, I tell you where you start. You start with the cross. Because all of the gospel story eventually makes its way back to the cross. Romans 1.16, Paul said, we all know it. You can probably quote it by heart. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he said that the gospel of Christ is the gospel of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Skip down to verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You're never going to go wrong when you're talking about the cross of Jesus. The preaching, the declaration, the witness, the story of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. You can try all other kinds of clever arguments to convince somebody. Sometimes preachers and even Christians that witness think that we turn into a used car salesman that we have to convince people of their need. But I'm going to tell you, you'll be safe if you'll stick with the story of the cross. Jesus was betrayed by the kiss of a friend. He was led away in the middle of the night to an illegal trial where paid witnesses lied on him. He was molested. He was punched. The beard was plucked from his face. They handed him over to Caesar who found no fault in him and and wanting to release him, he handed him over to the guards just to scourge him, to whip him, to punish him. And so they took a Roman cat of nine tails, a whip with nine lashes with bone and glass 
and metal in those lashes, woven in those lashes, and brought it down upon his back. And we used to say they did it 39 times, but that's wrong. The, the Jews only gave 39 lashes because they had mercies. The Romans were, were merciless. They brought it down upon him, and every time they brought that stripe down upon his back, it dug into his back, and when they ripped it out, whole hunks of human flesh would fly out, and they beat him within an inch of his life so that he was so marred. In fact, the Bible says of his face, his countenance was marred more, his visage was marred more than any man. You could see uh, his internal organs sticking through the wounds that were in his back. And then when all of that was said, he was condemned to the death of a cross and betrayed by the very people he came to save. And they wanted the old murderer, the old thief Barabbas instead of him. And they put a heavy Roman cross on his back and they led him away to Calvary and they stretched him out on that cross, probably dislocated his shoulders as they stretched him out on that cross and they nailed him to that cross. And while they were driving those nails in his hands, Jesus Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven, but he did not pray for himself. He prayed for those that were nailing him to that cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm going to tell you if the love of God demonstrated in that cry isn't enough to move the human heart, nothing will. But I want you to know the story did not end with a suffering Savior dying on Friday, but on Sunday he got up victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he has the keys and he's the king of kings and lord of lords amen now what I just told you anybody can tell I've not said anything complicated I've not said anything that takes a PhD to tell I'm telling you that a person with a third grade education can tell that story Anybody can tell that story. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. Everybody ought to know. And then the last chorus of that song would say, everybody ought to tell. Everybody ought to tell who Jesus is. Kate Hankey was born into a Christian family in England in the mid-1800s. Her parents were friends and co-laborers with William Wilberforce who led the charge to abolish slavery in England and the slave trade. She grew up, she knew the Lord, and she was a tireless worker for the Lord. They were involved in prison reform. She was involved in, in being an activist for the poor, those despicable, deplorable conditions that existed in Victorian England. She had a great heart for missions and gave thousands of dollars to missions. When she was in her 30s, she, she grew gravely ill. And the doctor said, you're going to have to quit all of your labors, all of your Christian work. You're going to stay confined to the bed for a year. And confined to that bed and not able to do the things for Jesus that she'd always done. She did not let it wreck her faith. Instead, she said, this is a good time for me to write a poem. And she wrote a poem that had 100 stanzas. In fact, over those months, she actually divided that poem into two sections. The poem was called The Old, Old Story. 
And the first section of that poem was called uh, The Story Wanted. And that first section of the poem called The Story Wanted was taken by a, a, a hymn writer by the name of William Dawn, and he take, took it and made it into an old hymn that is called Tell Me the Old, Old Story. And the second part of that long epic poem was called The Story Told. And another composer by the name of, of uh, Fisher turned that into a song called I Love to Tell the Story. And I do, I love to sing that song. I'm not going to sing it to you today, but I am going to quote it to you. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longing like nothing else can do. I love to tell the story more wonderful it seems than all my golden fancies of all my golden dreams. I love to tell the story it did so much for me and that is just the reason that I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story tis pleasant to repeat which seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I tell the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't get any better. I, I want you to know that your pastor doesn't have all the answers. I know you said, well, we know that, but I don't. I don't have all the answers, don't even know all the questions. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle with doubts. I struggle with questions. I struggle with the things of life. There are things about the Bible that are too deep for me, things about eternity and life that are far beyond my understanding. But when I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, all of my questions become unimportant. When I look at the loving Savior dying on a cross for sinless humanity, and when he was on that cross, I was on his mind. All of those things I understand just don't matter that much. I just want to love on Jesus. I love to tell the story. And everybody and anybody can tell that story. It's what God's called you to do, tell his story. Tell the story about how he came. Tell the story about how he lived. Tell the story about how he died. Tell the story about how he rose again. And if you'll tell that story, all of a sudden you'll become a soul winner. Because that's the only story that works. That is the gospel. And that is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We've substituted our own uh, innovation and intellect in sharing the gospel and forgotten that it is the Holy Ghost of God working in and through the gospel on the hearts of the lost that draws them to salvation. Yes. It's not our convincing arguments. It's our faithfulness in telling what we know. And if you'll tell that and people believe that, people will be saved. You say, can it really be that simple? Yes, Romans 10 
8 through 10. For what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's just that simple. We've made it too complicated. Anyone can tell that story. But I'm going to tell you, there's another story that not everybody can tell. There's another story that only you can tell. And that's the story of what Jesus has done for you. That's your testimony. And that's what happened to the woman at the well. I don't have time to go into her life story other than to say that she was a broken Bitter woman. But when she met Jesus at the well, she got a taste of living water that not only quenched her thirst, but became an artesian well of living water gushing forth out of her. And she ran into the city, and she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Samaritan. She didn't even have the right theology. She couldn't convince them from the scripture that that was the Messiah, but she knew enough to do this. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And there were people that came and were saved because they believed her word. And there were other people wasn't sure that they could believe her, but they were curious enough to check it out. And when they heard his word, they said, we believe as well. There's one story that not everybody can tell, that only you can tell of what the Lord has done for you. People in our day may argue and try to disprove the gospel story, but there's one thing that they can't argue with is what's happened to you. There's no defense against what he's done for me. They can't question the validity because it's my story. I love the old song by the former governor of Louisiana, Jimmy Davis. He said, I was there when it happened. So I guess I ought to know. I don't know where to start with this because, I've one, I've been here 10 years and you've heard my story. In fact, you've heard all my stories. I'm either going to have to get a new story or get a new congregation. I don't know which, but I, you've heard all my stories. So I don't know where to start. I don't know whether to start when I was about five years old in the corner of my grandmother's kitchen at 1157 Mallet Street and I knelt and Jesus came into my heart and he's never let me go. I don't know whether to tell you about when I was nine years old at an altar at Garlington Avenue Church of God of Prophecy to baptize me in the Holy Ghost. I don't know whether to tell you about June 23rd, uh, 1981, where at Camp Inchicani in Lizella, Georgia, he called me to preach his gospel. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know whether to tell you about the fact 
whenever I was uh, in high school and I was struggling with living right and daddy kept telling me about Jesus said I am the resurrection of life and he'd cry and cry and cry and I'm like Jesus that's I was like daddy that's wonderful but you didn't even know Lazarus why are you so emotional about that and I was standing there flipping hamburgers and I was having trouble living the, the Christian life and Jesus spoke to me in the only way he could and he said son you're having trouble living the life but I am the resurrection and the life and if you'll trust me I'll just live it through you I don't know whether to tell you about when I was 22 years old and the Lord said to my mother two weeks before it happened that Satan was going to try to kill me and she prayed and covered me in prayer and God spared my life that day on that forsaken highway I don't know whether to tell you that or tell you about how about a month ago I walked around my yard and cried on my big brother's shoulder and said Lord you got to do something I need your help and the tears fell and the confidence came I don't know where to start because it's an ongoing story but I'm going to tell you he's always been there for me he's never let me down he's my best friend he's my savior he's my lord and that's my story and I'm sticking to it that's what's brought me this far and that's what I'm holding on to the question is what's your story there were several of us yesterday 21 of us what a great crowd from our church went 21 of us were there at the Acts 2 journey and one of the things they asked us to do was to take three minutes and go to somebody and tell them our testimony in three minutes. So I got up and went to a couple of preachers that I knew, and in three minutes they each told me their testimony. I don't know if you know this, but you can get happy and want to shout in three minutes somebody telling you what God's done for you. You don't have to try to win a theological argument. We lived in a day where we were modernists where people wanted to know the objective truth and the historical accuracy of something before they believed it. I want you to know the generations that we're dealing with are no longer worried about whether or not it's true, but they are worried about whether it's real. And I'm not saying that we don't need to present doctrinal truth. We do, and objective truth does matter. We don't believe in the relativity of truth. Objective truth does matter. But I'm going to tell you, if you think that you're going to win an intellectual argument, or if you're going to win people to Jesus by pointing out the social aspects of the gospel, or if you think you're going to win a philosophical argument and win somebody to Jesus, it's not going to work. But if you'll tell them something that'll touch them in their heart, and move their emotions and speak to their spirit and they get a hold of something and experience something that transforms their life. They don't want to know what happened where uh, some archaeologist uh, dug up some bone or some uh, dug up some cup that proved something. They're not interested in that. They're interested in something that'll keep them from blowing their brains out. They're interested in something that'll keep their marriage together. They're interested in something that'll give them peace when they lay down their head at night. They're interested in something that'll bring their children back to sanity. They're in a world of full of hurt and they're not looking for a church that's going to be smarter than them. They're looking for somebody that'll tell me about a Jesus that can change my life. What's your story? The story is the same. Oh God. Thank God for the story of my life.
The story of my life is the story of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Aunt Fanny was right, wasn't she? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. There's a southern gospel song about 30 years ago. It said, go and tell somebody what he's done for you. Go and tell somebody what the Lord can do. How he brought you victory. How he brought you through. Go and tell somebody what he's done for you. I'm telling you that every one of you that is born again, you're qualified to do the two things that it takes to be a witness. You know enough about the story of Jesus to tell about his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And not only are all of you qualified to do that, but each of you are uniquely qualified to tell the other part of the story, and that's your story. You're the only one that can tell that. And there are people in this world that are dying to hear it. They're dying to hear it. I want you to stand. Now there may be people here today that you need a new chapter in your story. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You need a new story to begin today. You say, I got questions that I don't understand. I, got, I don't know all about it. Do you believe that Jesus came? Do you believe he died for your sin? Do you believe he rose again? If you believe that in your heart, you confess that with your mouth, you'll be saved. That's not my word, that's God's word. Maybe there's some of you that you've got a, a long story of the grace of God, but you've had, you've turned the page on the last chapter and you need God to start a new chapter today. You need a fresh touch. You need a fresh experience. I believe the Lord can add to our story today. You know what I, when I look back over my life and I see the faithfulness of God written on every page, it makes me want to see what he's going to do in the next chapter. Amen. Instead of dreading how the next chapter is going to come out, I want to see what he's going to do in the next chapter. Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love.
Thank you, God, that you can rewrite our lives. Thank you that for that our stories can have a page after page of headaches and heartaches, but you can write a happy ending. draw people to yourself today. If there are people here that don't know you as Savior and Lord and they want to accept you today, Lord, they can come to this altar and I'll pray with them and others will pray with them. We'll help lead them to you. Lord, Lord, for your children here today that were blessed by your story and by their own story today, God, I'm praying that you'd help that not to be a momentary emotional lift. But it'll be a call to share. Lord, I'm asking you to touch us and bless us today. In Jesus' name, would you look at me?